Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL for him. Five for me. Okay, as a reporter. He actually played in the game. But, you know, who's counting, Logan? Who's counting? (laughs) What is that? What is that? Okay, matters a lot. Uh, But his expertise uh, is going to explain to you on today's pod, amongst other things, the mystery of Taylor Heineke. Why is it that he wins games as we review this win over Houston in some more depth? Of course, if you like what you hear, we would love for you to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the Odyssey app. And of course, if you're watching, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. All right, Logan, uh, as we dive into Washington's offense in this game, they very clearly came out with a, a game plan, executed it uh, at some level, which you'll dive into, and then took their foot off the gas in the second half. But what did you make of the plan and, and, and kind of what Scott Turner threw out and how they executed, especially while the game was in the balance in the first half? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what this team is at the moment. And what I mean by that, they're a team that I think obviously they want to run the football and then they've developed a couple of plays, you know, kind of this duo play with the motions and the shifts to kind of, as some eye candy, which is a better play action pass. And they are able to do some play action pass stuff off of it. Right. You know, I mean, obviously that's not the only thing they're doing. The first play action, that ball that's completed to Terry is off of a center pull. Right. And that works great versus a cover three spot drop kind of look. And they're able to get a completion there. But I think they're basically kind of, this is, this is a, we've talked about this before. This is like a big trend around the league. They're, they're teams without elite quarterbacks are, are taking off taking responsibility out of the quarterback's hands. So they're running the football a ton. When they when they do pass the football, it's often off play action, often off a keeper look. And that's essentially what Scott's doing, right? You're finding ways to stress the defense in other ways than kind of saying, hey, sit, let's get in a five-step drop and you you dissect the defense. And um, I think that's like that's where this offense is. And I think it's a very good formula and a very sustainable formula because the defense and the special teams are playing well. So um, that's kind of where, where I'm at with the offense at the moment. And I think, you know, when like talking about the mystery of Taylor Heineke, I think that's part of the equation when looking at the mystery, right? It's saying Scott has changed his approach. This offense has changed its approach um, from when Carson was starting. And as a result, you're getting a quarterback who's who's less stressed down in and down out, has less responsibility. Now, that's not to say he's not doing some good stuff, but I think that's generally kind of the overarching theme with him. 
Right. So like this to me is the mystery, right? And and it's like how do you have a guy in Carson who's super talented that doesn't win games and then, you know, Taylor that does. And okay, fine, you've got this new game plan. But to me, like the actual difference in the two, like that's obviously the the ecosystem around them changed. Mm-hmm. I know Rom was very clear the other day as well. Like Brian Robinson was such a big part of what they wanted to do. And then he has this tragic accident that happens in the preseason right before the season, knocks him out. It completely throws them off kilter, which by the way, everyone said at the time, everyone was like, it is very clear they are off kilter and they are very reliant on having Brian Robinson, which was a mistake because he was a rookie. There was no guarantee he was going to be successful. It didn't seem like they had a backup plan regardless. And then obviously, and you also don't ever want your offense to be reliant on one player because it's the NFL and guys get hurt. Um, and obviously it's very rare that a player gets hurt in the way that Brian Robinson got hurt. Uh, and, and it's awful, but you know, he just as easily or probably more easily could have rolled his ankle in practice or in the preseason game. And he's out a couple weeks and the offense would have been in the same spot minus the emotional overhang of tragedy. And so they took a while to adjust and to then ultimately get Brian back and implement him in the offense and then they seem to find their groove. So that is that is obviously part of it. But then you have the, this kind of question that we've been batting around the last couple of weeks of, well, okay, if you have this formula now and you have the pieces in place, not only Robinson, but an offensive line that has finally stopped playing musical chairs, what would it look like if Carson was there? And I have always said the answer is not as good as it looks with Taylor. Because the mystery of Heineke to me is, he actually executes the very little that he is asked to do, relatively speaking, at a much higher level than Carson, or even a higher level, maybe not a much higher level, but a higher level than Carson Wentz would. And the because that is a relative little compared to what they were asking Carson to do, the numbers are not as flashy. You know, it doesn't necessarily look as, as good on paper. But if you watch the games, it's fairly obvious that hey, this basic thing they need him to do, or hey, that little subtle thing he did where he threw a ball away, where Carson probably would have taken a sack. Like Those are the things that keep your offense on schedule and win football games. And when you start to realize those things, it's not that much of a mystery at all. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, like I was listening to PFF uh, this morning and they were kind of reviewing the game. They do a great job of reviewing every game from the week. So it's not going to be super uh, detailed, nuanced, but they were kind of saying like, they don't understand why Taylor Heineke is the starter based on their metric, right? And I think part of that is they don't understand like the new game plan. They don't understand how Taylor Heineke fits. They don't understand, again, like I think it's so, like the game plan thing, I know we kind of want to push that to the side, but it's so important because if you think about early in the season, like they were, they were leveraging the defense too much, right? Think about all the three and outs that Carson had in the first mm-hmm. Philly game. Think about all the three and outs um, in, the, in the first half of the Detroit game. And that, again, the defense is good, but it, it's not a tenable solution. So you've, you've taken some responsibility off the defense by being a little bit more conservative offensively. And that's, that's a, big, a big part of that is the run game. You mentioned B-Rob, and you don't want to mortgage your future on one player who's a rookie. But there are teams that, that have done that, right? I think, you know, like look at this, he's not a rookie, but Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, um, even Algiers in Atlanta, right? They're getting a lot of touches in the context of that offense. And he's a big, powerful guy who I, I think elevates the offensive line in a different way than Gibson. I think in the podcast we had after the game, you know, I said, oh, I'm, I think B-Rob played better than Gibson. And mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I said that is because he made more out of bad runs. He doesn't he's, – he's a good – he's a good – 
bad run runner, if right. that makes sense. So when the right. offensive line hasn't blocked it effectively, he's good at kind of finding air, breaking a tackle, falling forward for a yard. So that, that's part of it, right? And then so that that's 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 kind of the big crux of it. Obviously, the game plan, the personnel, all those different things. The thing that you were alluding to there, like with him making plays when he's got to make it, I think is the that's that's the stuff that's lost in the sauce a little bit. That's the stuff that no one's talking about. So, for example, there's like a third down. They bring a pressure. He gets he's getting hit. He kind of steps away from the throw. He gets the ball to Logan Thomas for a 15 yard game. Right. There's a um, a play where the uh, I think the left tackle gets beat on a rush. He throws in perfect timing to uh, Terry McLaurin on a big out route. First down. That stuff, those plays are probably sacks with Carson Wentz at quarterback, and those drives die right there. So mm -hmm. for his ability to throw, again, with anticipation and understand the offense, understand where the ball should go, right? Even on the first completion of Terry, like it's masterful, right? He understands the defenses in cover three. They do the play fake. He looks to the left. Safety runs to the left, makes a big window for Terry. Like that is high-level football stuff. The protection holds up. All the things are there. Terry runs an excellent route. He throttles in the zone. They're on the same page from a chemistry standpoint, right? There's all those little nuances that – Again, a company like PFF can't necessarily account for. Now, you know, they understand pressure rate. They understand all these things. But when you watch the game, you see those things that are elevating him, his relationship to the receivers, his trust in the receivers, his understanding of where the football should go, and his ability to kind of make a play when it's not a perfect situation. And for this offense, where the margin for error is so small, keeping them out of negative plays and executing on third down like we've talked about. Like, that's my thing. That's my soapbox executing on third down he's done a great job of that and you know i know they only were three of 13 or whatever but they were able to find chunk plays on second down that basically played like third down conversions for a lot of the game so that's to me that's again to your point is the thing that's elevating is is the mystery of taylor heineke watch down to down watch throw for throw those are the things he's doing consistently and it's never going to show up in a big stat sheet because the main thing that's carrying this team is the run game and the defense right He's just not throwing the ball as much. So, like, you right. can't accumulate yardage in the passing game. Like, Carson was throwing for 250 yards a game, but he's also throwing it 35 to 40 times. Right. So, like, yards per completion is not that different where Heineke's throwing it 25 to 30 or even sometimes 20 times a game. Yeah. Right? Like, you just can't accumulate, and especially if you don't have a 75-yard bomb, which, like, way jacked up Carson's numbers in one of those games. Like, that and is... And a lot of it's, gar like, a lot of it's yeah. two-minute comeback situations kind of... I don't want to say garbage time throws, but like that, there's always something like padding stats in those phases of the game. Right. It, Which is it, not it, like for the sake of padding stats, right? Like right, you're, you're trying, trying to, to engineer a, a comeback uh, the best you can, but defenses play it differently. Defenses play off. They're trying to make you basically kill the clock. Like, sure, we'll give you a bunch of yardage, but we're not going right. to give you easy points. And thus, it's easy to accumulate yardage. You know, uh, I, I referenced this quote uh, the Minnesota week, but. Kirk Cousins is not having as good of a statistical season in terms of total yardage as he's had previously. And that's something that Kevin O'Connell said was like, yeah, we actually haven't been in a ton of those situations where right. Kirk has kind of gotten those garbage time numbers to bring his stats up to where right. they've been in the past. It's not like he's any more or, or any less efficient than he's been. It's just the, the when you start to get into some of the accumulation situations, um, you, you don't see those the way Minnesota's played this year necessarily and because they've been in clo a bunch of close games as opposed to trying to play catch up the same has been true for Washington where you know yeah if you were to give Taylor Heineke a free drive at the end of a game to accumulate 80 yards his stats go from 200 to 280 
Um, but he hasn't had those situations. And, and Carson, you know, the Detroit game, for instance, was basically that the entire second half. And so it, it that is part of it is like when your job is to get seven yards on third and five or third and six, you get the seven yards, you hand the ball off again, and, and you just repeat, and you're not going to accumulate a ton of yardage. But that's the important thing is that they're actually getting in those situations, which are hard to quantify for a company like PFF um, versus the negative points of a sack because you don't really like statistics don't deal in counterfactuals. Statistics mm. don't deal in what didn't happen, what you avoided. They they deal in what did. And so it's very hard, uh, you know, unless PFF is going to create some other, you know, kind of metric that deals with some of that stuff like hey bonus points in your pff grade because you slid five feet or slid five inches and avoided a sack like that's just hard to quantify but taylor yeah. does that little stuff all the time and when you see it not happen in the first six games with carson i mean i'm not trying to pick on carson but it's just it is what it is that is easy to see the difference and why this team is all of a sudden four and one with Heineke versus better statistically in the passing game with Carson in terms of overall yardage, but two and four. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I think strength of schedule is also something that probably sure. needs to be talked about. I mean, they did beat Philadelphia. Carson had a crossover there. Like there's, there's something to that, but I, I do think that, um, yeah, defense it, finding it's, its groove in general. Yeah, you know, William Jackson the third being out has a big deal huge, to do with it. Huge deal. And like you know, you know, we talked you talked about Forrest at the top. Forrest, Benjamin St. Juice, Bobby McCain to the nickel. Guys like John Ridgeway coming in, like guys filling out roles, being supplemental pieces to the talent, and then in some cases like being the guy, right? So I think all that stuff is so important. And it is interesting to kind of have the thought experience of like what would this offense be under this same play calling with the defense playing this way, like is, is Carson Wentz just as effective as Heineke? And I think there is potentially true, but I also think that the offensive line, the backs, the, the pass protection is not always as clean and, and Heineke seems to be performing better in those areas. And, uh, you know, they do have, you know, passes under pressure, those types of statistics, um, you know, but I'd also think they're more correlated to like blitzes as opposed to like actual pressure in the pocket. So, um, but yeah, he's done an excellent job in that area. And it'll be interesting to see like if they can't stick to the game plan, if they can't stick to this run first, run second, run third type deal, play action pass approach, and they're in a game where they're down by two scores. Like, what does this team look like is the complexion. Right. But I think you're you're kind of betting on the fact <clears throat> that the defense has turned a corner, that they are playing better. They're playing more consistent. They're making plays. And you're not going to be in that situation because they're going to be able to kind of bail you out, which is a big ask of that group. But that's how well they're playing at the moment. And I think that that, again, lends itself to supporting Heineke in this role and supporting any quarterback in this role, really. Yeah, uh, there's one other factor as well that needs to be mentioned. And uh, I give credit to Michael Phillips for pointing this out uh, in the starkest of terms yesterday uh, when he came on with me, Michael joins me on the radio on the team 980 at four o'clock every Monday. And I was like, well, the idea that, that Taylor or that Carson is a better quarterback than Taylor at this point in this offense, I think is just misunderstanding like what this offense needs at quarterback and like a misdefinition of better. And Michael goes, I agree. Cause by the way, in some ways it's as simple. Taylor Heineke finds Terry McLaurin and Carson mm. Wentz didn't. You didn't yep. pay Terry McLaurin all that money to be a decoy, to to be a guy that's out there blocking. Like, yeah, he's great at that stuff. But, but <laughs> Terry McLaurin, since Taylor Heineke has been the quarterback, has been 
incredible. He's averaging about 85 yards per game. That is an almost 25 yards, 23.8 yards per game increase over the first six games of the season. And sometimes football is a simple game. Get the ball to the good dudes. And Taylor Heineke does that in a more efficient way than Carson Wentz. And, in, in a, you know, we can talk about elevating the line. He definitely does that. I don't want to discount that because that is probably the single biggest factor. But I think the second biggest factor in term, outside of like avoiding the sacks and all that kind of stuff uh, that, that, he, that involves the line play and, and his quick decision making is who the ball actually goes to. And Taylor gets the ball to the good guys, or the, the best guys, the great guys, better than Carson did. Yeah, and I think this is something that we we talked about quite a bit um, in the offseason is Carson not building that chemistry with Terry. And it never was really there even through training camp, right? It wasn't there training camp, wasn't there really through OTAs. And obviously, uh, Taylor has that. I mentioned on the first throw of the game. I mentioned on the deep out, right? Like those are plays in, on the slants and stuff, right? Those are things where the timing and understanding how the guy's going to run the route really pay dividends. Now, I do think that that number is slightly inflated by some of the YOLO type throws that he's had to Terry, the one at the uh, one at the end of the Indianapolis game, right, yeah. where you're just kind of throwing it up. But there's also some really good stuff in there, right? The throw to Jair Alexander, you know, the on the the, the deep pass to, on Jair Alexander, the um, the one on Darius Slay against Philadelphia. Like he's done a good job of finding those opportunities in the context of the offense and and not forcing it really. I think you know, like early on, it was kind of forced the ball to Jahan to Terry's detriment because Carson had that relationship with Jahan. And again, this is where like everyone says, is the offseason matter? Is it and that relationship never developed, you know? And this is this is what it looks like when a court and it's funny because Jahan's been a little bit less productive with Taylor because Jahan hasn't really worked with Taylor, right? So I think right. those kinds of relationships are really interesting. And that's where like that interpersonal stuff of understanding this guy, I know this guy. I know how he's gonna run this slant. I know he's gonna run the out. I know I trust myself that I can throw this ball not knowing whether he's out of his break or not, and it's going to be completed. Like, that's the type of stuff that he brings to the table, and they've been able to maximize on it. And he said himself, like, you know, one of the things last year that really hampered the offense was they couldn't find a big – they couldn't cultivate big plays to Terry. And he and he, he took a lot of onus of that. And obviously that's not the case anymore, right? They've, they've kind of worked through that, and they found opportunities to get that done. And it's been a nice piece because, like, we've talked about a million times on this show, you know, if you can have a play at 15 yards or more, right – it increases your likelihood of scoring like 55%. That is another huge feature of kind of, in addition to staying on schedule, they've been able to find these plays in kind of weird ways, you know, like, and and credit to Terry, credit to Terry, credit to uh, uh, Taylor, but credit to the offense as a whole for kind of building these relationships and getting that done. So the last element of this too is kind of tying it all together. Right. So the, the game plan stuff and, and the advancement of the game plan in some ways, while it's simplified in, in terms of like, yeah, we're going to run the ball a lot more. We've seen a return these last couple of weeks to a lot of the pre-snap motion, a lot of the post-snap movement, uh, as you've termed it, and, and some of the route combinations and things that they've done. And we just didn't see that a ton with Wentz. And there was a huge question that we talked about a lot on the podcast earlier in the year uh, about whether or not that was something that was a Scott issue. Did he mm. kind of forget about it uh, during the course of a regular game week and, and in game? Or was that, hey, maybe Carson can't handle that load. And it's a new offense. It's new verbiage. It's, it's all that stuff. So that's not calling Carson dumb, like to be very, very clear. That stuff's hard. That's a lot of extra stuff beyond the basics of just executing the play. And so 
Taylor, who's been in this offense for seven years, all of a sudden seems to be able to handle that bigger neural load, uh, or at least they are giving him what we can safely say is they're giving him that. And I think that's a like kind of the last maybe underlying factor is they've been able to make Taylor's job easier because they have been able to give him some of the indicators, some of the the motion, some of the the things that he really needs or that an offense in the modern NFL with all the defenses throw at it need to maximize success and that help impact the running game that help insulate the line beyond just his own individual performance. And I think that that is the kind of the last part here. And I'm curious, especially as you watch this Houston game in the first half, like how some of that stuff played into their success where they have a 20 point outburst and lead 20 to nothing at halftime. Yeah, so I think something to kind of keep in mind here is that as they've become more efficient offensively, they've, they've been able to get to more plays, right? And I know the play totals may not be that drastically different because Carson was able to get some of these two-minute drives at the end of games. But I think this is all – I would assume this stuff has always been in there. Now, the duo play that they're running with, like, the the cross-sift and the lead action, like, that's a n- relatively new addition. I want to say they put that in around, like, week six or seven. I have to go back and look. Don't quote me on that. But it's it's a relatively new addition to the offense, and that's something that they really – they live and die by. I mean, I think they ran that run probably 15 times in the game. Like, that is a huge part of what they do. And they run play action off of that. So, again, just the nature of that one addition in terms of play adds a ton of stuff to the backfield, right, as a ton, as a ton of – post snap motion pre snap motion right and and so again there's there's that element you have more runs that need or necessitate that type of play call with the movement and um and also yeah you know like last week against houston the motion pre snap and the action post snap was going to be extremely significant regardless and what i mean by that it's going to be significant because they play a lot of man-to-man on first down which is a little bit unusual and when you play man-to-man on first down one way to kind of really test that team is say, hey, we're going to be in a two-by-two. Two, we're going to motion to a three-by-one. That guy's got to track me. All right, now that you've tracked me and you're basically to the running strength now, you have to fit this run to the front side. But wait, what if I take that same player I just motioned across and bring him back to sift the backside end or flash block on the backside defensive end? That player has to now track me across the formation and it affects everybody's run fits on the fly. So – the the game itself, I think, necessitated more motion or called for more motion. It was something that I was anticipating. So I think also motion is game plan specific. It's also related to play volume. And I mean play volume on first and second down. I don't mean these two-minute drives at the end of the game. So I think right. all that stuff is 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 a factor. But yeah, do I think that having a quarterback who um, who knows the offense and feels comfortable with the offense is a factor as well? 1,000%. 1000% a factor. And it's also the team is like, this happens with teams as the season goes on, they develop an identity and they develop a comfort with certain concepts, right? So you can feel free to say, oh, they understand the basic concept. Let's add a tag here. Let's do this. Let's do whatever. And I think that's also a factor, right? So is Taylor is Taylor's um, understanding of the offensive factor 1000%. But I also think there's some other things here that are contributing to seeing that more. It's not, it's not in and of itself because Carson's not the starting quarterback. Yeah. All right. But I, f- I feel like what we did there was unlock the mystery, right? Like no more. It was good, I don't man. get, I don't get why Heineke, I don't get how he wins games. Like, okay. 
you know, I I understand it. It doesn't necessarily make sense because he's not out there, Patrick Mahomesing it up for three thirty and three touchdowns, and you know, super efficient. You know, the the day that Dak Prescott had uh, on, on Sunday, where it's like he was like twenty three of twenty six or something like that. Like, yeah, he's not he's not doing that. And frankly, he's never done that. I don't know that he's yeah. ever had a three hundred yard game in his career. Yeah. Um, he might have had one if I remember correctly, but I I think he maxed out at like two ninety in one of the games last year. So that's just not who he is, but it's because the test he has been being asked to take is not one with a lot of upside. There's not a lot of potential points on it, if you will, but he scores pretty highly on it consistently. Yeah. and And I also think it's just like, that's where like a box score is misleading. You know, like there's times where, you know, I think Daniel Jones is a great example of this. Everyone's like, well, why are the giants winning football games? And it's because Daniel Jones has been hyper efficient, throwing the football in terms of third down conversions and keeping the team on the field and making plays when he's got to, and also scrambling. And that's never going to show up on a stat sheet. But if you look around the league, there are some teams that are winning games because quarterbacks with, with, with kind of middling quarterback play or seemingly quarterback play. And then when you go watch them, you're like, oh, it's because, hey, he made this excellent play on third and seven. Oh, he, he bought a little time here and got this conversion on uh, third and ten. And those plays are gigantic especially for teams with this type of philosophy. And I'm going to say this a million times. So if you listen, like cut this clip, send it to your friends, whatever you want to do. This is the key. When you run this offense like this, you ha- those plays become so critical. And Taylor's making them when Carson wasn't. And a guy like Daniel Jones is making them, right? And that elevates the whole offense. It elevates the whole team because they have good defenses. They can really lean into those groups. It's the same thing with Atlanta, right? When they win games, Mariota makes plays on third down, second and 10, whatever it is, because they want to run the football. That's who they want to be. But they need a quarterback who can execute in those kind of high leverage situations, keep them on the field and just find plays. And that's what Taylor's been able to do. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, by the way, the best offenses in the NFL, the Chiefs and the Bills specifically, have quarterbacks who can kill you from the pocket but yeah. also make those plays like a a, pers- a player that can do both is the ultimate version of a quarterback. And they've got the two best like yeah. Mahomes will also kill you with scrambles on third down. Yeah. It's just that he also can dice you for a 60 yards. I'm fading left from the left hash and let's throw it down the right sideline sidearm play because he's an alien from outer space. And while Heineke uh, can't do that, and most quarterbacks in the NFL can't do that, Daniel Jones is not doing that. Um, that is why those offenses are averaging near 30 points a game, you know, why they, they put up the yardage they do. Uh, but if you get at least part of that, the efficiency part, then you can be effective and win football games. And obviously, Taylor has done that. Uh, Washington now 4-1 and one with him as the starter in 2022. Uh, they were pretty successful with him when he was healthy last year. And we will see. Uh, and I, I think soon, like we get into, you know, they play well against Atlanta. We start getting into an extension conversation for Heineke as well. Um, and it's, yeah. it's crazy how quickly that table turns, but um, it, it comes to the point that you're being negligent. If you don't at least start to have that discussion uh, and, you know, a couple more games like this, if he's five, six and one, God forbid he wins the next two as a starter, like, yeah, you should probably think about that. Uh, so we will talk about that if that is indeed the case. Uh, but that is still to come as the season goes here on Take Command. 
Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Greg Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right. Uh, defensively in this game, it starts with a pick six with Kendall. It just continues to flow from there. Uh, after watching the tape, what what are some of the big picture things or, or maybe individual guys that stick out that, that have really upped their games and have led to uh, the dominance beyond the obvious of John Allen and Deron Payne, who seem you know headed uh, both yeah. for the quarterback at all times and for the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Um, so this is a really interesting game to me because I think, you know, we kind of knew like it's 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 been super fun because I've already started my Atlanta prep because it's Thanksgiving week and everyone's everything's bumped up. Right. All our shows are at a schedule and watching Atlanta like that is a good offensive line and a, and a much better team, even though they don't have the same kind of names associated with them. Houston was not a good. Fo- I mean, they're, they're not a good football team. I think their record is indica- indicative of that. Right. And so we expected them to be very productive. I don't think we expected them to be this productive, but you know, Houston didn't have weapons that were going to hurt you. Um, and then there were also these obvious mismatches. Like you mentioned, Allen and Payne, like Allen on Kenyon green, like you knew that the first second you watched the film, Yikes. that that was going to be a problem for that young man. And to his credit, Kenyon green's gone up against probably four of the five best defensive tackles in the NFL, right? He's gone up against Allen. He's gone up against uh, Lawrence up in uh, New York. He's gone up against, um, you know, Simmons from Tennessee. There was one other guy, but, you know, obviously very kind of roadblocks, you know, chucker block full schedule in terms of guys that are tough to go against. And Allen is in that group. And we knew that was going to be a great matchup. The other, the, the center's not good. He was going to struggle in pass protection. Payne was able to take advantage of the guard. Like we knew that matchup was game wrecking potentially and it delivered. Right. The thing, I think the big question was like, can they stop the run? You know, and obviously like that's something this defense does really well. Your guy, John Ridgeway did an excellent job outside that personal foul penalty, which was kind of insane to see that happen in an NFL game. Um, just shows you he's a big, strong dude. Uh, he is. Up uh, 200 he to, you know, again, football is a game of controlled aggression. We lost <laughs> yes. a little bit of the controlled part of the aggression. <laughs> yes, right. But he uh, that addition's been awesome in terms of stopping the run, and I would expect to see him also play quite a bit against Atlanta. But his ability to control a center with kind of like minimal technique just speaks to like how big and strong he is. And again, he puts Allen, it puts Payne in better spots. They're fresher for the games. It's fantastic. Then you get another thing that I think is really cool to talk about in terms of stopping the run is you get Bobby McCain basically playing the linebacker position in their Cinco package, and he's fitting on fullbacks. He's fitting on offensive linemen. And so that addition, that flexibility for him to play in the box and then kick out and cover a receiver has been pretty cool, especially with Benjamin St. Juice moving to the outside. So those additions are awesome. Obviously, Fuller with the interceptions, great to see. You know, he's playing in like a their kind of zone Y cover three match look 
with eyes to the quarterback and makes an excellent play on the ball for a pick six. Great job. And then just the down in and down out consistency. Um, you know, I think this the Houston team is built in a similar way, like a worse version of Washington. Like when they they they, they want currently. they want they want to they need to run the football. And when you can't do that, they're not equipped from a pass protection standpoint to throw the football. So you see the benefit of kind of earning that, earning the right to rush the passer by being excellent on first and second down. They did that throughout. Obviously, in the second half, there was a little bit of bleeding. I think a big reason for that is that big chunk play to uh, Brandon Cooks that leads to, um, it was like a freaking 50-yard gain or whatever. Yeah, it was um, uh, 41. Yeah, but outside of those ty- of, of a play like that, there was a whole bunch of fourth down conversions kind of late in the game, which led to points for Houston. I think that defensive group just played lights out. You know, Forrest is doing a great job. And the other cool thing, Craig, I know I'm kind of rambling on here, is when you watch the clips, like the first screen of the game, one of the things I look at is how the defense is pursuing to the ball, right? So, you know, Casey Tua runs out there, forces it back. John runs over, makes a tackle with uh, Jamin and Bobby McCain in the pile. And I pause the tape right there. And there are 10 guys standing over the football in white jerseys. 10 guys. And that happened multiple times in the game. So you see a defense that's playing confident, that's playing aggressive. I mean, Benjamin St. Juice on that clip, the backside corner is in the frame. All right, and then so who's the get, slacker? Who's the 11th? Who's um, the guy? <laughs> it was uh, Kendall Fuller, who's actually to the side of the screen. So that was a little bit uh, surprising. But that happened multiple <laughs> times. Multiple Kendall's just times. like, y'all got it. I'm good. Yeah, you got, y'all got all 10 guys over there. But I think that A-plus. speaks to when you bring in some young people, they're hungry, right? Yeah. Forge is hungry. Curl's hungry. St. Juice is hungry. And for them to pursue like that and tackle the way they're tackling is great. And they're going to have a really good test this week in Atlanta. Like Atlanta's not a great football team, but they are physical. They've got backs that break tackles. And so this is going to be like a significant uptick from what they saw this last week. And it's going to be run first, run second, same type of thing. So put your mouthpieces in, boys, because like this is kind of the next iteration of this game. But I do think that that group is playing at a very high level. They deserve a ton of credit. And I think we didn't mention this with the offense, but um, yeah, there was a little bit of slack in the second half. Yeah, and I think being able to put put together a full game should be the goal for them moving forward because they're capable of holding a team to three points. Quite frankly, yeah. And John Allen talked about that after the game in the locker room um, in, a, in a speech that they put out on on Twitter and you know all their social media. That was really I I, I loved hearing this from Allen, where he's just like, look second half we're better than that we can go out and like we need to play better because if we played like that against philadelphia we don't win on monday night um you know and then we and he had a quote about the offense that was great he's like offense i know y'all are better than that in the red zone um and i'm not calling out anybody i'm calling out everybody and i was like that's leadership right there dude Um, it's it was i gave me like we saw that we watched that yesterday in our show it was part uh of the show and it gave me chills like to have a guy with that kind of awareness not only of himself but how to communicate with the guys and then kind of say like, let's be real now. Like we won this game. And, and I think, you know, we talked about it on the, on the, on the review show or the the post game show. Like it felt like kind of an easy win or as easy as you're going to find for the yeah. commanders recently, but for him to kind of be like, Hey, let's, let's enjoy this. But man, like we want to make the playoffs. We've got bigger things we want to be. I think that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's. I think it's why Ron was so freaking happy uh, yesterday. Uh, to the point that Ben Standig asked him in, in his Zoom press conference, he's like, 
uh, and it was so awkward and so perfectly Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say that with love. Uh, yeah, Ben yeah. will be on, on my show. We're recording this on Tuesday. Ben will be on the show, uh, with me today and I will probably bring this up to his face. So I'm not talking mm-hmm. behind his back. Um, but like, he was just like, so, uh, you seem happy. Like, is it, is it fair <laughs> to say that you're happy? And Ron's like, yeah, this is, it feels good to win. And, but the, yeah. he expanded and was like, I love how our leaders have kind of said the same exact things that I've been trying to preach mm-hmm. how, yeah, we're not a complete product yet, how we continue to have to grow. And, you know, it's also interesting too, Logan, last night, uh, we, we watched the first two episodes of the Cardinals in season hard knocks, oh, mm-hmm. um, which has finally started. And it's interesting because a guy like Buda Baker, uh, for them is like kind of an emotional leader and he gets up and, and gives this really fiery speech, uh, after one of their losses earlier in the season, and he's like, I'm pissed off. I'm tired of losing. I hate this. Like, I'm just tired. Yeah. And I emotionally get that. And if you're in that moment with him, that probably speaks to you in some way. But the way that John not only was able to speak to emotionally where everybody is, but give some substance. Like, yeah. you know, so much of football and speeches, and it's so funny because I only get this through hard knocks. You lived it for 10 years. Like, there's so much of this, like, we got to go do this. Like, pure raw emotion. And, yeah. like, unless you're in that moment, it, it comes through very hollow, I would say. It's, and uh, I'm sure that as, as an intellectual guy like you are, you probably sat in a lot of those locker rooms being like, what are man, we you're doing? nuts. Like, <laughs> what are we, I don't need this. Like, what are we, we're just yelling. Um, but to, to see like Terry and the way that he can tap into a moment, you know, cause it's one thing to be like just emotional cause it's a game day and, and you're hooting and hollering and yelling and it doesn't mean anything to, to take the, the microphone, if you will, uh, as Ron is breaking down and capture a yeah. moment in the way that Terry did last week to see how John is able to capture that moment with true substance and, and have something to say, not just speaking for the sake of speaking. Like that is a next level of leadership. And I think that it shows a maturity within this football team. And, uh, that, that goes a long way, especially by the way, when you have a young roster, yeah. like this is a very young team that is also outside of like the occasional John Ridgeway suplex is very, very mature. And yeah. that is pretty remarkable to, uh, to see. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that that is something that, um, and you know, I don't want to sound like we're saying this is the best team ever, but those are some very encouraging signs, right? Like yeah. you, like we, they're getting good play from, you know, like Forrest, like the growth he has shown to be the starting safety and be making plays and doing that stuff is awesome. The growth of Jamin has shown the growth this team defensively has shown. And, you know, even on offense, right. To get Sam Cosby coming back in the lineup with a broken hand and playing well, Trey Turner adding value in the run game, Larson at center, you know, Norwell, these guys that didn't look great at the beginning of the season, kind of fleshing out the roster, Jahan getting back on the field, right. You know, Cole Turner blocking his face off in the run game, a guy that wasn't supposed to be able to do that. Those are encouraging signs. This team still has a long way to go. And I think John's comments kind of alluded to that. But the fact that you have a leadership leadership structure on the team that is that like that, you know, we talked about this when Terry was getting his deal done to have that type of leader in the on the team is incredibly, incredibly valuable. I almost want to say it's priceless, but someone who's playing well, who sees the game that way speaks the game that way and can relate to the guys that way is so incredibly valuable. And to have John, who I have heard is a little bit like off-putting at times, but to have that personality there, to have him be one of your paid leaders playing well, 
it gives credence to everything they say. So obviously there's some holes on this roster, right? Some areas where they could definitely get better, right? You know, we talked about Heineke a lot, but probably quarterback looking ahead to the offseason, all those different things. But these are incredibly encouraging signs for this defense, for this team, that you have guys who are this aware of where the team is at and where they need to go if they want to continue to win football games. Now, the rest of the schedule is a grind, so it's not like they're going to be in the playoffs just yeah. yet. But, the, but that awareness at least shows that they understand who they are, what they need to do, and how they need to get there. Uh, all right, so actually, I want to flesh that out a little bit more. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Uh, I'm Craig Hoffman, host of the Hoffman Show, 3 to 6, each and every weekday on the Team 980. Logan Paulson joins me on Sunday mornings for Countdown to Kickoff. He played 10 years in the NFL, 6 here in Washington. By the way, one in Houston, one in Atlanta. One in Atlanta, two in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, one in Atlanta. Like one a, in Atlanta. So we like got another two, Logan Paulson two off Bowl. Seasons. Two off-seasons, yeah. Uh, we got another Logan Paulson Bowl coming up this week. We will preview that on Friday's show. So Black Friday morning as you go shopping, uh, you can also listen to our podcast. It will be out then. Uh, but I want to I flush out this kind of roster situation because I think there's been a ton of criticism. And at the time, it felt rightfully so on right. Rivera, the personnel guy, and the Martys uh, who built this roster. And... All of a sudden, it looks like they've got some stuff that's in place that's pretty sustainable for the future. Now, some right. things have changed uh, and in terms of how maybe this roster is built moving forward, but it's a very interesting roster to look at. So I just want to run through the position groups quickly yeah. and, and kind of say like, yeah, we feel good about that. We don't, you know, that's a question, whatever. Quarterback obviously is still a question, but yeah. I think you can also do, like if all of a sudden you go into next season with money to spend because you re-sign Heideke at a very affordable yeah. rate and Howell's your backup going into year two. And even if they competed out for the starting job um, where Howell's got a little bit more arm talent, et cetera, like whatever. Like that's not ideal. I, I think you can do clearly better, but you can also do a lot worse than a guy who's in his eighth season in the offense and not spending silly money chasing someone who by definition another team didn't want which is what right. you did this offseason. Right. So, you know, we'll have a larger discussion on that moving forward, but and I think that is kind of the crux of where they are at quarterback right now, that the floor is Taylor Heineke, and considering what Heineke has been uh, throughout his career as a starter, that's not a bad floor. No, I mean, it's not a bad floor, and I think he's improved. Like, to his yeah. credit, like, you know, he's playing, and again, this is one of the things that, like, a bite you in the butt. He's playing better than he was last year, right? You know, sure. obviously more experience and – that is fantastic, but it's also like there is a level of variance to his game, which can, you know, he can go on a skid here where it's like three games where it's like, what are we doing? Right. And hopefully he totally. can, can, we could have can, a very different conversation by even the bye week. Correct. So I think that's important. Always kind of, I, I hate to be the Debbie Downer, always putting that modifier on it, but he's playing well. He has played well, at least to my eye. And I think that there, if he can continue to do this, yes, I totally agree with that, right? I, I would expect them in the offseason to look at the quarterback position hard. I, I would right? as well. Right. And I'm not I'm not endorsing just giving it to Heineke, basically yeah. no matter how he plays down the stretch. Um, because I think that the limitations are still there and you see them. However, 
what it should do, should is such a dangerous word, should do is prevent them from spending stupid money in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, and, and so hopefully that's the case. Running back, you've got Gibson and, Gibson and uh, Robinson moving forward. Uh, Gibson is probably due money soon. Um, yeah. I think he's got one more year remaining. Yep. Uh, he's a 2020 draft pick, so he should have have one more year remaining before you got to pay him. He's obviously extension eligible, but it's a running back, so we'll see. Um, obviously, the receiver room, you if you just keep, I think at this point, you keep Curtis for the final year of his deal with where that money is. You could cut him loose, but I, I don't think you should. I don't should. think they will. I think he's shown um, enough to that you feel good about his. And again, he's such an integral part of the offense. His growth, you know, like talk about, you know, like the injury, it looked terrible, right? But obviously his growth coming out of that and the the usage package and his ability to make plays in situations and how he makes plays, I think is critical. I think the one thing I'd maybe keep an eye on at the receiver room is if they could get like a third or fourth round big body type guy that kind of flushes out the room. You know, obviously Cam's here. I think Cam's up. Is he up next year or the year after? It doesn't matter. We'll dive in that deeper. But keeping that like kind of focus. Um, I think is, is going to be a, a big deal for for them. But yeah, but finding you all you can never have enough receivers. Essentially, you never have enough playmakers. I think they definitely probably make a move there in the offseason in the draft, probably not in free agency. Yeah, but even if you want to re-sign Sims, uh, yeah. to it's not going to be that expensive, and he's such a core special teams guy. Like right. you can certainly make the argument for that. He is an unrestricted free agent, but it's not like he's going to have a huge market. Um, sure, his market is more of a spe- as a special teams guy than it is a receiver. You know, he is a fourth receiver. Yeah. Um, so and, you, and you've seen and you've seen some growth from Diami as yeah. well, right? So like, there's there's some sure. good signs there, right? And I think that group. Would but just... the biggest thing is you have like three potential studs at one, two, and three. Like right. you've got Terry locked in, Jahan's on his rookie deal for a bunch of more years, and Curtis, you've got another year of, um, and he's he's been fantastic. Yeah, and I think I just bring up the receiver thing, like in terms of bringing in a new piece, is because like I at least in my experience, it's never good to be like, oh, we're set. You should always right. be pushing totally. and scratching. And like, it's like I'm tempted to bring in a, bra- a back, you know, someone with high upside that you like late late in the draft, right? Always. Again, someone to just keep it, keep the pot turning, right? Keep everybody pushed and everybody motivated. Like I remember when I was on the team in um, 2012, going into the 2013 offseason, uh, Mike was like, I feel like we're pretty good with the roster. And we were because we went, you know, we went to the playoffs. Everything was good. And everybody was coming back. But it also led to a level of contentment, right? Like that guys were like, oh, I'm set. We're all good. And we weren't a good football team, right? We didn't grow as a football team. So even though like we're saying that the, we're good at these positions and we're happy with how guys are playing, I think it's it's always good to see if you can get, just, again, keep that competitive atmosphere on the team um, and not rest on your laurels from a roster standpoint. But yeah, good, good receivers, good backs. Tight ends, I think, is another one that's exciting. I don't know if they bring Logan back. He's like, yeah. he's, he's, I think... You said I they got Cole. He's a, yeah, he's a he's a free agent. I'm pretty sure. You got Cole. You got um, you got Armani, and then you got uh, Curtis Hodges, who I've talked to people in the building, and they're very very high on. And if he gets a little bit bigger and stronger, like with Bates in that mix, like golly, holy cow, that's an excellent group of guys. And then offensive line, I think um, you know everyone talks about uh, needing to make some changes and some improvements, but. You know, again, talking with people around the building, they're very high on Chris Paul and where he's at. Right. Obviously, still got to grow a little bit. Would be kind of a DeForest guy for the offensive line, potentially. Not this year, maybe the end of this year, but an offseason guy to keep an eye on. Sake, uh, Sadiq, I think, has maybe run his course here. So, probably in the draft, looking at, I would say they look at tackle in the draft or in free agency. Like, it's so funny watching Caleb McGarry 
down in Atlanta. Like he struggled early in his career, so they didn't pick up his fifth year option. He's up this year. He fits what they want to do here really well. So putting Cosme at guard, bringing him at like a right tackle, just as an example, I'm not saying they should do this. Right. That again elevates that group immediately. Maybe Chris Paul ends up playing left guard, and the and the complexion of that group looks amazing totally. all of a sudden, right? And you so, know, Chase, hopefully Chase can come back again. And is you know is yeah, yeah. healthy? Yeah, um, because Gosh, they spent money injury. on him. Um, yeah, because they they spent money on him. Um, so you know, but you know whether it's Larson Schweitzer still floating around, like they've got yeah. they got some guys that have been around. Um, you know, and and so we'll see. So that's kind of the offensive side. You you have room to invest on the offensive line, but you know it's time to do that. And yeah. then defensively, you know they've got to figure out how they want to allocate right. resources. Um, at this point, it feels like bringing back Payne is the smart play right. uh, because what he and Allen bring is so unique. Uh, then they got to be so out. expensive. Like they, I think they made a, a little bit of a mistake not trying to get that extent. I mean, obviously they didn't know and they couldn't do it, but he is going to be very well paid. Do you, this do you, you think he's going to get like the contract? I think so. I mean this, like look at the production this year, like just watch him down to down. Like he's a top four guy in the NFL and those guys, interior guys get paid money and he's unique because he is excellent against the run and he can rush the passer. So, you know, like if Justin Simmons is a free agent this offseason, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, he's going to be a hundred million dollar man. Right. That's the kind of contract you're talking about. And I don't think he's going to take a hometown discount. And I think he wants to make more than Allen. If I just I don't know, but that's what I would guess. So I would imagine it would be very, very expensive to keep him in the building. Do you would you consider tagging him? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's definitely a, a possibility. Sweat's got one more year on his rookie deal. Uh, so he's obviously eligible for an extension. If you can figure out how to get that done and tag Payne, uh, then you can kind of figure it out. Uh, I think know, the next, next year. thing. Yeah, or, or you tag, obviously, you tag Payne and then try to trade him. Yeah, which is um, maybe the move. Like, yeah. Because like, right now, you could pro- if you were to tag Payne and trade him and get him an extension, you could probably get a first and a second for him in this next year's draft. That's, like that's how well like that's how well he's playing right now yeah. and like you know if i'm arguing a former gm also it's kind of a one-hit wonder or whatever but also the scheme has changed his role has changed like he's getting more play time ionitis is gone like all these things but yeah i would definitely like that's going to be very very interesting that's, that's going to be the talk of the offseason like we're going to probably do a lot of podcasts this offseason about what to do with deron Payne. i would try to keep him at all and not at all costs but like i would pay a pretty penny for that dude yeah, and it's hard to get interior, interior, good, inter- good interior line play at the moment, it, specifically through the draft. Like you got to develop it a little bit. So, totally. but the, the the part of the the thing too with the defensive side of the ball, and this is kind of now you know eight minutes later getting to the the point that I really wanted to get to, um, to, you know, good discussion in between and all, but the back seven was like everyone Much was maligned. killing them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden. Force and Curl look incredible as a safety combo for the future, and they're not expensive for a while. Curl right. might, you know, Curl's going to get some yeah. money soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, it, I don't know. I don't know that he's done quite enough. Like, he hasn't gotten the accolades where he can go out and demand like a massive contract. He's got one more year left. Again, a guy that you try to maybe extend this off season so you don't have to when yes. he makes a Pro Bowl. You know, and now all of a sudden next year he's he's flirting with All Pro. Like, because PFF's got the highest grade on him in the league, I think, for safeties. Yeah. At least it was going into the week and nothing particularly It's like him bad and, like, Forrester in the top five. Yeah, I think they're <laughs> one, two, actually, yeah. going into the Houston game. And it's not like they uh, that went Played down bad. based yeah. on how they how they played. So, clearly, his agent's going to want something high. And they know if he gets to free agency, like, that dude's going to get paid. But, 
if you have Forrest and Curl in the future, St. Juice looks like a stud, you know, yeah. whether you bring back Fuller or some, you know, bring in someone else, uh, you know, and then Jamin's development, all of a sudden Ron's talking yeah. about, yeah, maybe he should get Pro Bowl consideration considering yeah. where, what they were saying about him weeks one and two, like all of a sudden that back seven looks a lot more locked in. You know, maybe they draft a guy in the middle or they bring back Cole. Like, we'll see what they do there. Holcomb's not going to be terribly expensive if you do want to bring him back. Um, although he will cost, obviously, more than he has been on his rookie deal. Sure. But that's that's kind of the point now is, is this roster that was so much maligned and it still lacks depth in a lot of areas. Sure. But it is so much better, I think, than we thought it was going to be coming into December. Uh, and we'll see how it holds up through December and in, into the two weeks of January that regular season football exists now because yeah. we play a silly long 17 game schedule. Uh, but I think you just feel so much better about the future of the football team now. Um, obviously, we'll see what the ownership situation shakes out and what a new owner might want to do and all of that. So, like, by no means are things settled. It's the NFL, nothing's ever settled. Uh, but I just I feel like this team has such a better floor underneath it than I would have ever guessed I'd feel six weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And I think this is one of the fun things about roster construction is growth. How is this person going to grow? And I think Ron with Forrest probably had some inclination because they were starting him in training camp from day one. Mm -hmm. So obviously they saw something and they saw that he could potentially grow into something given a larger role. That was an interesting conversation I had with Kyle one time. There was a, it was in training camp when I was there in 2017, right? And they had two young safeties. One, one was one was like a fifth-year guy, so relatively young, but a veteran. And then they had a rookie. And they were getting ready to cut the veteran safety. And I remember talking to Kyle, being like, what's like, what's the deal? And it's like, you know, I kind of know what this guy is, this, this older guy is, and I think he's kind of peaked. But if we were to give so-and-so a larger role on the defense – like, what does that look like? And does he become something that we can kind of build around moving forward? And I think that's always a very interesting question. And they definitely uh, handled it right. Again, with Jamin, like, that's crazy. Handled it right with Jamin. Handled it right with Forrest. I think, obviously, they're getting Percy on the field a little bit more, which is a piece that, you right. know, with more playing time. That might safety, by the way, is a position they not only have the, the duo, but they have depth. Yeah. Because, like, Percy Reeves is probably going to be around as a team's yep. guy, but, like, is a fantastic depth safety. Yeah, and, and Reeves has been, like, I'm glad you brought that up. He's been awesome on teams. been absolutely fantastic. So, um, yeah, man, again, that's the thing about roster projecting. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the criticisms in this offseason were warranted because it's like, who's going to play if these guys aren't playing, right? Right. Who's gonna, and, and if they don't grow, what happens? It's a big, it's a big if, but obviously it paid off demonstratively for them, and they coach those guys into that position. And a little bit of it's getting familiar with the defense, a little bit of it's understanding who the player is and how to speak to them. I think the Jamin thing is super interesting because he's a guy who seems like you can just coach the heck out of in terms of being very, very critical, and he responds yeah. well, which is yeah. something that again a lot of players don't do. So, you know, I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with roster talk, but it's been cool to see those guys grow up and make plays and be features of this offense that that you feel good about and they're young pieces too. So that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention 99 and we'll still see if he gets on the field this weekend uh, activated of course, earlier this week. Uh, but chase young, not a guarantee to play this weekend, but someone who's still obviously at this point, a huge part of their future plans. Uh, of course we get all hyped up and looking towards the future and 
if we were if we were playing, that would be bad because there's a tough, tough opponent this weekend. What we talk about on the podcast has no bearing on the game, so we can get carried away all we want. That said, we we focus back in on Atlanta on our next show, which will be out Friday morning. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, the Odyssey app. Odyssey app, by the way, where you can also stream live radio free. Uh, get that, get that in your your iPhone or Android device. Uh, and and if you like watching us, uh, there's some clips always, and, and occasionally even the full episode on YouTube. We also are going to start putting full episodes on YouTube on our Odyssey Sports channel here very soon. So we're very excited for that. But for now, for all your video needs, subscribe at Craig Hoffman on YouTube and you can catch all of the clips and things that we post there. For Logan, I'm Craig. We'll see y'all Friday morning on Take Me.